Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Live Life Liberated with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. Today, Kyle Malmstrom is in the hot seat. Kyle, how are you? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I know that you've brought Ken Van Dam on the show today, and uh, you've got an important topic to talk about. Sure do. If you think tax planning is important today, uh, it's going to get even more important when you hear what we have to say about the potential changes that might be coming to fruition now that the election has come to to come to uh, fruition. Yeah, I, I know that's on a lot of people's minds, and it's on mine. So I'm I'm here to learn. Thank you so much for bringing Ken on the show. Oh, Ken, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Kyle, and thank you, Eric. It's it's, uh, it's good to be here. So Ken had joined us on a podcast couple months back when we talked about the CARES Act, but Ken, why don't you share with everybody your firm, your role, and who you serve? Sure. I'm a tax partner with the firm Ernst & Young here in San Diego, California. I specialize in private clients. What that means is my clientele is basically high net worth individuals, typically entrepreneurial type clients that have uh, various business operations and investment interests. I deal not only with the the individual tax issues, but also the company and uh, and business tax issues. Short version there is your tax expert, and I'm super happy to have you on the show with me today. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) The purpose of today's podcast is to discuss the potential tax implications from the national and state elections and what they might have on your your own personal income tax situation. And we're going to give you some guidance as to some solution sets that the audience can can take forth and and digest and decide if they want to proceed in different act, in different ways. So let's talk about what just happened here a week ago, and I guess the the, the dust still hasn't settled. Ken and I were chatting about the election. We now have President-elect Joe Biden, and he has a tax plan. We want to talk about why it matters. Ken, you and I were chatting about this, and we and you said you were in a non-political descript way, you kind of like the outcome of the election. What does that mean? Well, from a tax standpoint, I do. And, and look, let me just say, I, this is not intended to be a political conversation. I'm not saying that the results of the election are, are good or bad. What I'm saying is it affects the tax policy and tax planning for many Americans. And it has some interesting effects. One of the results of having a split government, which is, by the way, what we think is going to happen, it looks like, at least from the AP results, that uh, we will have a new president, President Biden. It looks like the Republicans have at least 50 seats in the Senate with a runoff in Georgia on two seats. And it's there's risk. We can't, we can't 100% ascertain what's going to happen in Georgia, but it it is likely, if not very likely, that the Republicans will win at least one seat. And if that's the case, we have a split government, meaning that we have uh, Republicans in control of the Senate and Democrats in control of the House and the presidency. And when we have a split government, we, we, we tend to get more stable tax policy because there's just a lot of gridlock. What we would expect in that environment is that there would be no major shifts in tax policies, 
but there will be some negotiated compromises here and there. And we might have incremental tax legislation that wouldn't be one major shift in tax policy, but maybe changes on the margins of tax policy. And so we think for the next two to four years, if if there is a split government, that we'll have a, a fairly stable tax code. I agree with that assessment. I would not underestimate the potential for a, for the Senate to go blue in two years at the next election. I think that is entirely possible. I don't think we went, anybody wants to discount that risk. With regards to the tax policy, and they're going to be marginal changes. There are negotiations and horse trading that's going to happen. So we don't actually know what's going to happen, but we do know what Joe Biden has said he wants to do. His plan was fairly similar in a lot of regards to most of the Democrat candidates starting at the beginning of the year. But for our audience, I want to go through kind of the large items that Joe had earmarked because it's important that everybody knows where he's starting from and where he wants to get to. And what happens in the interim and where it all lands, nobody knows yet. But tax policy at this point in time is in danger of getting worse for wealthy clients. And today we're going to talk about what that means. Let's chat about Joe's policies. We know that just like Trump wanted to dismantle the Affordable Care Act, Joe Biden wants to dismantle the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And there's several aspects to that that he wants to dismantle. Which ones? Well, let me ask another question. How aggressive do you think Joe, Poli- Joe Biden's policies are relative to other presidencies' changes or proposed changes to the current tax law? Reading what his agenda points are on tax policy, what President Biden's agenda points are, it, there are potentially fairly extreme tax increases. And I'll give you for examples, some examples, there's plenty of them. The capital gains rate, which is now basically 20% or lower, depending on your income threshold. For high-income taxpayers, he would essentially double it to 39.6%. That's not only true with capital gains, but it's also true with dividend income. That's a fairly sizable tax increase. He also has sizable increases to other aspects of the income tax code, such as limitations on itemized deductions, Social Security taxes applying to wages in excess of $400,000, all geared towards high-income taxpayers, but fairly sizable increases. The other thing that's fairly aggressive change that he has proposed is changes to the estate gift tax which which yeah anybody that knows uh, about gift tax planning there is a very large amount that you can give during your lifetime uh, it's eleven million five hundred eighty thousand dollars currently he want he would want to decrease that to three and a half million dollars and that three and a half million dollars is only at the time of death if you wanted to give anything during your lifetime it'd be decreased to one million dollars so it it would have significant changes to high net worth individuals estate planning. Yeah, it would. The on the income tax side, I think he also wants to take the hard, highest marginal tax bracket up to 39.6. All right, he's got a whole laundry list on the income side. But where you went with that Ken is if you think the impact on the income taxes is going to be stiff, don't worry, the tax man cometh again to get you when you die via the estate planning piece like you said. And to give to give context there, 
if if the estate tax limit per individual well let, let let's chat real quick make sure everyone understands what the exemption is so the the estate tax exemption basically says hey someone is allowed to die with a certain amount of money before the government takes 40 cents on the dollar over that amount like you said Ken that's 11.858 today so for a couple it's 23 million if a couple were 23 million dollars today passed away they wouldn't know any estate tax if they got hit by the proverbial bus but in Joe Biden's tax plan if it goes down to three and a half million then you'd have 16 million dollars at risk and that's 7.2 million dollars per couple in tax right there very painful yeah, that's the math. And if I can add, there's other elements of his proposals to estate tax, which is increases the tax liability even more. The 40% tax rate, he has, a, he has stated that he would like to see go up to 45%. In addition, right now, and, and this has been longstanding in the tax code, when somebody passes away and bequests their assets to their family, the income tax basis is reset to the value at the time of death. So imagine, you know, your parents and your family home that they bought in the 1960s for whatever, $15,000 is now worth a million dollars. Well, if they should die and you inherit the home, you can sell the house for a million dollars and not pay any income tax because the basis of that home was reset at that million dollar value at the time of death. One of the things that President Biden has said that he would like to do is get rid of the tax basis step up for high net worth individuals with people with large estates. And then, so in my scenario, without a basis step up, that house that your parents bought in the 1960s for $15,000, when you inherit the house, you're inheriting a $15,000 tax basis. You will be paying the estate taxes that you just mentioned Kyle. But in addition, you're going to sell the house and you're going to pay taxes on $985,000 of taxable gain, in my example, and pay an income tax as well. There will be two taxes, an income tax and a state tax under Joe Biden's plan, which uh, we haven't seen before. There's always been a tax basis step up in, in the estate tax world. And if he gets his way, he'd be, you'd be paying the capital gains rate at 396 Correct. You get the you get the double whammy there. So there's yeah. so there's some real risk here. Hey, on that elimination of step up and basis, you and I had chatted about this before the show. There was some legislation that went nowhere that basically said, hey, this would be a um, a accelerated tax payment where you'd have to pay the tax immediately. Is that right? Uh, yes, there was legislation. Past tense uh, introduced by uh, uh, um, I, I forget which representative that would have uh, made a death event an acceleration for recognizing taxable income. So you you would lose the basis step up, and it'd be treated as if the person who died sold all their assets, even though they didn't sell all their assets, and that person who died would pay a, a very large income tax at the time of death. Um, regardless of the if the assets were actually sold or not at the time of death, and then still be subject to estate tax. That legislation didn't go anywhere, but it is something to be concerned about with respect to future legislation. Um, I, if, I think uh, it speaks it, to more. 
I think it speaks to how hungry they are up in Washington. They they don't they are not afraid to try to get to the tax dollars. <laughs> so I think it's important to understand the policy, the intention behind this tax policy. The President Biden has several programs that he will want to fund. He's got an infrastructure program. He's got a Bring Jobs Back to America program. He's got other social programs that he would like to enact. And they're all going to cost money. And so he has, at least preliminary, designated certain tax proposals as revenue raisers to pay for these programs. So if, if there is a blue wave and the Democrats control the, the Senate, what you will find is likely not one major tax bill that in a very big way, in one swoop, changes tax policy. What you're going to expect is a series of bills, infrastructure bills and jobs bills and other social bills that will be funded incrementally by these revenue raisers. You know, I get the question a lot. You know, what's the risk of, of all this happening retroactive to January 1st, 2021? And the answer is, in theory, some of this could be retroactive January 1st, 2021. But I think in reality, especially if there's a split government, there's going to have to be negotiations and compromises and bills introduced over a period of time. And what we'll see is some tax increases happen over a period of time. I can't forecast how long that will take, but uh, it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah, no one can predict exactly how the policy is going to fall over the next couple of years. I think what we're trying to communicate is the position of the Democrat Democrats and President-elect Joe Biden and kind of where they want to head with it. And that dovetails into the sunset provisions of existing tax law and what's already going to change, even in the event that they don't pass any legislation. Let's chat about that for a little bit, because these are things that we do know are going to happen that have a very real impact. And if you combine them with President-elect Biden's changes, it gets even worse. But today, there are, there are sunset provisions. What does that mean, Ken? What's a, what's a sunset provision in the tax code? It's a, it's a very good point, Kyle. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which was... Yeah, enacted uh, about three years ago, had some uh, fairly significant tax reductions, and many of them were temporary. They sunset. The bill could not go through with uh, a lot of the provisions being permanent, so a lot of them had these phase-in, phase-outs. Even in a split government, in which if you subscribe to the theory that not much is going to happen in tax policy because of the split government, we're still facing sunset provisions in the Tax Cuts and Job Act that will change the law over time. And I'll give you some examples. The 11580000 unified credit for estate and gift tax planning. That's good. It gets indexed for inflation to the year 2025. So it'll go up a little bit each year till 2025. And then in 2026, it gets cut in half. And that's because it was sunset in 2026. So anybody that is looking, that has a sizable potential taxable state, probably should look to some estate planning maneuvers, techniques, between now and 2026. And frankly, now is better than next year, not only because of the risk that legislatively 
the estate tax could change, but also because it's a low interest rate environment. Valuations might be low depending on your asset base. It's just a great time to estate plan. But that's one example of a sunset provision, and that's the estate tax side. On the income tax side, there's a whole host of sunsets, you know, a dozen or more. Probably the more important ones to people to, to understand is the 37% highest tax rate will go back up to 39.6% in 2026. The very controversial state and local tax limitation of $10,000 that's the limit, you know, before the Tax Cuts and Job Act, we could deduct our state and local taxes, our real estate taxes, our taxes that we pay to the state of California or whatever state you reside in. That was all deductible for federal tax purposes. They got limited to $10,000. Well, they'll become deductible again in year 2026. Well, that'll be a good thing because right now people are getting crushed with that here in California. Right. And I suspect in New York and New Jersey exactly. and every other high-income state. And if you own a business, there's a there's a whole host of provisions that will sunset in 2022, 2023, little phase-outs that happen all the way through 2026. It's too much to get into in this podcast, but if you have a complicated income tax situation, you own businesses, my recommendation is you contact your tax advisor to, to understand these sunset provisions that will affect your businesses as well as you individually. Yeah, planning by definition is looking downfield and and trying to figure out what potentially could happen. I think the, the the discussion we're having is it's going to get worse from an estate tax point of view, regardless of what Joe Biden does. If Joe Biden has his way, it's definitely going to get worse. With the Democrats having the presidency, tax rates in general are probably going to go higher. I know our deficit's close to $30 trillion. We have to pay for that somehow. And so now might be the time, right, with with – we did a lot of planning. We've been doing a lot of planning prior to the election, and we, we did a podcast on this just saying, hey, if there is a blue sweep, you have to get your planning done today because that unified credit, the estate and gift unified credit, really creates opportunities at this $11.58 million. And what that means is it's a use it or lose it. You either use and get rid of, and, and we're talking high net worth people that have that kind of money, but if you can afford to get $23 million out of your estate, and avoid the estate tax, you got to get the planning done within the next couple of years, for sure, before 2026, before it sunsets. But you don't want to wait till the last minute. You don't want to wait for for legislative changes, because if you don't do it, you don't, you know, it may never come back to those levels of ever again. Trump really helped out wealthy individuals and families with that exemption, and Democrats want to take it away. So, Getting into, we're going to get into some of the different strategies we can we can utilize for that, but there's a whole nother set of taxes here in California that also come into play, kind of to demonstratively point out what we're trying to say is the tax rates are likely to increase. Let's talk about Prop 15. What is it and why it matters? <laughs> I'm glad you asked the question. I'm glad you asked the question because as much as the uh, wild card that the uh, federal taxes are with respect to the blue wave or no blue wave, 
California, we 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 have a little bit more certainty, and that certainty is is that there will likely be tax increases in California. We don't know what, we don't know when, but we know the pressure's there in a, in a big way. Prop 15. Going back to your question, Prop 15 was a proposition on the ballot that would have raised uh, or repealed Prop 13, which is. It's basically same for non-residential commercial properties. The assessed values would have been assessed at fair market values. Prior, in, in what currently is still the case, is when somebody buys a commercial property or a residential like apartment property, the assessment value is, is the, the value at the time it, that it's acquired. But then it's limited to 2% increases. So you have some properties that have been owned by taxpayers for 20, 30, 40 years. They've been chugging along at 2% increases on their property tax rolls and nothing more. And so the value might have far exceeded 2% increases. Those people are enjoying a lower assessed value. Prop 15 would have corrected that and basically said, whatever the fair market value is as determined by your assessor will be the assessed value. No more 2% limit increases. Prop 15 did not pass. Thank goodness it didn't pass, but it only didn't pass by 2%. Uh, it was 52 to 48%. 48% of the people were in favor of that law. They keep whittling away at it. At, at some point, you figure it may happen. You're right. Well, it, it, and, and the reality is it didn't pass this time. It may, maybe it'll come back on the ballot and pass in the future, but it didn't pass this time. And what that means is is that California will still have a fairly large deficit. You know, that, that Prop 15 was supposed to raise in a neighborhood of what I read, 8 to $12 billion a year. California was kind of expecting that money, needs that money. Cal State of California is starving, has a large revenue deficit right now. And the prior to the election, the California State Assembly had issued two pieces of legislation that did not get passed but were postponed, basically put on stall to see what the results of this election were. And the governor, Governor Newsom, had announced that he was in favor of Prop 15 and was not backing the two assembly bills that were introduced in assembly before this election. Now that Prop 15 has not passed and California needs money, we would think that those two assembly bills might be revisited in in some form and maybe modified. Those assembly bills, there's two of them in particular that I'm referring to. One of them would have increased tax rates for the uh, the very wealthy, basically the millionaire's tax, and it would have, you know, for very high net worth, high income taxpayers, it would have taken the current 13.3% California tax rate and made it as high as 16.8. 13.3 is already the highest tax rate in the country of any state. 16.8 is very high. As a matter of fact, there's plenty of states that have you know, 5%, 6% tax rates. We're almost going to be triple of some of those states in, in the income tax rates. If that there's some pass. states that don't have any state income tax. Yeah, yeah there are states that don't have any income taxes. <laughs> so that, the, and, the, bill, the, assembly uh, bill you're talk, the, the assembly bill you're talking about, 1253, just to go through the schedule for people, it affects anybody over $1.1 million. It's going to take you from 13.3 to 
over uh, 2.3 million. It's a 3% hike in income tax. So it's 16% and then over 5.9 million, 16.8. If you combine that with Joe Biden's tax, what he, either the sunset provision going back to 39% or what, or if he just increases it, you're looking at 55, 56% per, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be roughly 60% plus or minus, which is significant. And, you know, before this election, you had mentioned, Kyle, that you were talking to a lot of individuals about the state tax planning before the election. So was I. But the, the, the second most popular topic that I was talking to clients about was this idea that maybe you should just trigger some of your capital gains now in 2020 before mm-hmm. the federal and state tax rates skyrocket or potentially skyrocket. I, I still have clients considering that, but I, I would have to say after after what we think is a split government federal, I, I, honestly, I think most of my clients are now of the, the mindset is they don't really want to pay their capital gains tax unless they don't have to, and they'll they'll risk that there might be higher tax rates in the future, thinking that there won't be, at least for federal. And California is what it is. To be quite honest, a, the AP 1253 bill, when it was introduced in August to increase income tax rates in California, it was introduced with a retroactive date of January 1, 2020. So I'm not too sure if there's much planning you can do around California uh, for 2020 if 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 that's the way the bill is going to come through. The reality is, though, we don't really know what how the bill is going to come through yet. We just know there is significant motivation by the state to increase revenue and it is reasonable to believe that they're going to look to tax increases. Currently, right now, they got a $54 billion deficit this year. So they got several different ways to, to uh, deal with it. But I totally agree with you, Ken. Coming after more money and coming after the top 1% is going to be, you know, they they got a bullseye on their back. There's, there's, yeah. there's no question about it. So what can we do? And let's talk about 1288 just in a little bit, just because I think it's, it's worth talking about because it's just so absurd. But on the income tax front, right? I mean, we do a lot of income tax planning here at Centura. It's all totally dependent on what someone's situation is. But there's charitable strategies. There's ing trusts. There's retirement benefit type planning that you can do. There's captive and captive insurance companies. There's There's so many different ways to do it, but it's always so structured based on what your goals are, what your fact pattern is, how your businesses and corporations are set up. There's, there's a lot that goes into it. And that's where Ken and myself and my team, we all specialize in looking at those situations to say, hey, how can we help you? Right now, we're, we're getting bombarded to the point where we're clearing our calendars, just trying to figure out how we can address the needs of everybody we have coming through the door. And we got to pick the highest and, and most impactful strategies to try to get done before the end of the year because we can't get everything done but we can definitely set the stage for 2020 or 2021 what we want to do there as well so i'm sure you're getting a lot of that too as well ken yeah absolutely and i I think you said it and i'll just reinforce it Uh, there's no one strategy that fits everyone people have different sets of circumstances have different preferences for 
complexity or risk or whether they're charitable oriented or not, there is many, many various strategies to reduce taxes. And it really requires a sit down between the advisor and the taxpayer to really understand what the taxpayer's financial and tax situation is and what the taxpayer wants. What's their, uh, you know, if, if somebody is charitably inclined, this year's a great time to make charitable contributions. The, the CARES Act, at least for federal purposes, allows a deduction for charitable donations of cash to public charities that could offset 100% of a person's taxable income for 2020. It's a one-time provision. In 2021, you can still make charitable contributions, but it might be limited to 60% of your income. That's um, just an example. But you know, it really takes you sitting down with an advisor. And, and you know, that's especially true if the individual is owns and operates a business or invests in real estate or other pass-through type entities that, uh, that invest in businesses. And that's because there's a tremendous amount of pro-business tax deductions and credits available um, that require some significant analysis and and then um, execution. On the estate tax planning piece of it, Ken, we didn't, I think we failed to mention a lot of the different solutions. I, I guess it just kind of dovetails in how we work together and all these different solutions and how you probably need a team to, to get to them all. But, you know, right now, a lot of the planning that was taking place in expectation that there was going to be a blue wave where there were a lot of spousal lifetime access trusts that were being set up. It's, it's a little bit more right. than we want to get into now about how they work, but a great way to utilize that exemption and have your cake and eat it too. Grantor retained annuity trusts, intentionally defective grantor trusts, family limited partnerships, Cuperts. And to your point, and Ken, is always on on point with some of these on these things when we're talking about them as he'll point out okay hey based on valuations being low this year because of covid now might be the great time to transfer this asset out into this trust and here's the implications or hey the interest rate here is so low that this specific strategy if we if if we do it this way is going to yield the optimal outcome and 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 you're really creative in that regard, for sure. And I just want everybody to get a flavor. Hey, there's probably, and I know our firm does over 50 different strategies on the income and estate tax planning standpoint. And I know there's more out there and we're still uncovering them and we dig through them. Some of them we like, some of them we don't like. One of the ways we get to those solutions is working with Ken and your group, your specific advisors that clients have themselves. So before well, we... Go ahead. Okay, can I interrupt? I'm sorry. Yep. There's one thing that I just, you know, I, I think a lot of the listeners might appreciate, which is th- with this low interest rate environment, we've never seen interest rates this low in our lifetime. There's never been interest rate this low in, in the past hundred years. And there's exotic, there certainly are exotic ways we can take advantage of low interest rates in estate gift tax planning, but you don't necessarily need to go exotic. Just imagine a situation where you loan your child or your grandchild a million dollars and charge them 0.25%. Any earnings that your child or grandchild earns on investing that million dollars over 0.25% is their money that they get to keep. 
you only get paid back the million dollars plus the 0.25% interest rate or whatever the interest rate is. It, it's really that – it can be that simple. Estate planning can be that simple. Obviously, there's many, many other techniques. But I just want to demonstrate the, the power of the interest rate being so low. It's just never been that low before. Great point, Ken. On the charitable side as well, we run into clients that in their estate plan want to leave – 20% or 25% or whatever the number is to a charity, but they don't get any income tax benefit for doing that at their passing. There's techniques we can do today that honor their wishes, achieve the result that they want, but we get the tax deduction today and it's all made possible by the super low interest rate. Let's, let's cover what I find to be just kind of one of the more absurd things, but is a reality. And and you were talking about it, Ken, was that sitting in the assembly, there were two bills, 1253, and the other one's 1280, or 2088, AB 2088, and it's a way for California to carve money off of wealthy people. And it is known as the wealth tax. What is the wealth tax, Ken? Tell me how this is going to affect <laughs> your clientele. AB 2088, if it, and it wasn't passed, but like I said before, with the deficits in California, it, it might, might re-resurrect. AB 28 would have been a, a wealth tax. We do not have any tax system like this in the United States of America. The federal government doesn't have a wealth tax. No other state yet has a wealth tax. How the wealth tax works is, at least the way it was proposed, is if you have a net worth of more than $30 million and you're a resident of California, you will pay an annual tax to the state of California equal to 0.4% of your wealth and on your worldwide wealth, not just assets located in California. If you're a resident of California, you're subject to a 0.4% tax on your worldwide wealth uh, to the extent it exceeds $30 million. There was exemptions uh, for certain assets, like if you own a home, that would be exempt. It might not be exempt if you own your home through an entity like an LLC or a trust, though. But if you just own your home in your personal name, that would have been exempt. So they had a couple exemptions. But it and it wasn't based just on your stock market value. It was based on your entire value. So if you own real estate, if you own hedge funds, private equity investments, you know, hard-to-value assets. I have some clients with very large wine collections and, and jewelry. It's based on your, your, your value. It would have been based on your, your net value. And so it it is a little bit of a head scratcher is how would they implement this law and get reliable values to base this tax on. But I'll tell you, it, it, it was, it was, it was law that was introduced and it's within reason that something like that might get passed. Well, I know Elon Musk said if they passed it, he was going to leave California. And, and to your point, the complexities at the end of someone's passing, there's the you file a tax return called a 706 estate tax return and you got to do valuations on all your entities and all your real estate and it's it's a big arduous process. I can't imagine having to do that every 3 years. And, and then you come up with the valuations and then the franchise tax board comes in takes an aggressive position and says we don't think that valuation's right. And it, to think that they wouldn't do that would just be I have a hard time thinking they wouldn't do that 
all the time because that's where the money's at. <laughs> well, and like any type of new law, if this were to come into play, there's a lot of questions that would need to be answered. It would probably take a few years for enough guidance and regulations and correction bills to 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 try to make this manageable. But right now, it it would seem to be hard to imagine how it would apply and, and be manageable. It may also say, uh, you know, the story about Elon Musk uh, threatening to leave the state of California. I, I, I think just talking with some of my clients, a lot of my clients were upset about that particular proposal. It was almost as if they were fine with an income tax increase, but to create a whole new tax and try to levy that tax on wealth, regardless of whether you're making money or not, seemed a little over the top to some of my clients. The bill, AB 2088, had a 10-year clawback provision. If you're a California resident and you moved out of the state, the state of California would still try to assess this tax to you for the 10 years after you moved out of the state, which you can argue whether that's constitutional or not. I'm just saying that's what the, the, the bill had in as part, as part of its provisions. Very aggressive. Yeah. Pretty aggressive. Thank Thank, thankfully, it didn't get passed, but it does. It just, it just resonates with the position that franchise tax board in California has with regards to needing money and how aggressively they're going to get it. And I think our federal government needs the money more than ever. I mean, we just we're thirty trillion in debt. That doesn't include Social Security liabilities, and I don't even want to go there. It's it's frightening. They're going to come get the money. I think tax planning today, while well, you can push it off, I don't think is going to work out good for people to do that. I think getting a game plan together today, whether or not you execute it today based on who's in power and what's actually passed, just knowing where you're going ahead and pivot when laws do get enacted is, is going to be super helpful because I, I would just say that at the end of this year, had there been a blue wave, and and we really thought that they were going to come in, and it's still a chance they could try to get it through, but it's not as likely. But if they reduce the estate tax exemption down to $3.5 million, your odds of coming to the table uh, in the middle of November to get to your accountant, to valuation experts, uh, to your estate planning attorney, to say, hey, I need to go do a bunch of stuff, you, good luck. Because pe the people that were thinking ahead – already lined all those professionals up. I'm not saying you couldn't, but you, they may charge you 2x or whatever that, you know, there's going to be a premium to get to those people. And and that may ring true in the next year or two years. At some point, it, it, I believe it's going to ring true. So it's, I think, important to sit down with your advisors and talk to them and say, hey, this is a concern. Start to get the trajectory of the estate pointed in the right direction so that when the time does come, you can make quick decisions and, and, and act accordingly and save your family and yourself lots and lots of cash. Right. Well said. So if I can <laughs> summarize a couple of points, I, I think we're facing a situation where even though we have a, we think we have a split federal government, hopefully tax rates are stable federal wise. Still, there's a chance they go up, and if they don't go up now, two to four years, very well could go up. California, we think there's a decent chance it'll go up in some way, some form. So, what do you do to a state plan, to to income tax plan and a state tax plan in that type of environment? Well, you you talk to your advisors, 
like Kyle, like myself, your tax, your tax advisors, your tax attorneys, your wealth advisors. But generally speaking, what you think about is: Do you should you accelerate income now and pay taxes while they're lower now? And if you have long-term holds, maybe that doesn't make sense. But if you have short-term, mid-term holds, maybe it does make sense to do something to, tr to trigger the gain now to, to capture the lower rates. You basically try to accelerate income in the low tax rate years and defer income in the high tax years. I mean, it's, 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 that, it's that simple. And then try to harvest deductions, charitable de tax planning, business provisions to harvest deductions, the whole host of them. Well said, Ken. And I, hey, Eric, are you got any questions on this? Guys, all, all I know is that this has been <laughs> way over my head, guys. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you two are the experts because the excitement comes through in your voice, even though you're talking about things that are potentially bad uh, in a lot of these cases. You really show the passion that you guys have that for the work that you do with your clients. Kyle, I, I felt like there was a couple times you were about to come out of your seat about a couple of these issues. But I can understand why, because you've got clients that are going to be adversely affected in major, major ways if some of these things happen. And the, the adamant points that you both made about doing something right now, I think uh, well, I took it to heart. I mean, I'm not in that position. I'm not too worried about my mega millions of wealth until I hit that Powerball. That's not going to happen. But uh, <laughs> obviously, you've got clients that need to be listening to this, and I'm, I'm hoping upon hope that whoever does listen to this shares this podcast with their friends and their business associates or whoever they're connected with to give them that warning. Right. I mean, that's, that's what this is all about. That's correct. And I would like to give special thanks to Ken for joining me again. Ken, it's a pleasure to have you on the air and I love working with you and, and you, you do such a great service for your clients. And if anybody needs to reach out to Ken, uh, how can they get in, in touch with you, Ken? Sure. My email is Ken, K-N, dot Van Dam, V-A-N-D-A-M-M-E, at E-Y dot com. Awesome. Thanks, Ken. Thanks again for joining us, and let's look forward to, to getting some really good plans put together here and, and getting Uncle Sam and Gavin Newsom off our, off our clients' backs. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> Yeah, guys, uh, again, I want to thank you both for all the work that you do with your clients and, and the importance of the message that you brought today. So thank you so much for that. And of course, the last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when they come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family and colleagues. And like I said before, this is definitely one you should be sharing because Start planning now. Don't don't wait. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Centura Wealth Advisory, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. 
Centura Wealth Advisory Centura is an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC-registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results.